Hello, and welcome to this edition of Being Together, as well as our new edition of Artists on Artists. My name is Christopher Blay. I'm the news editor of GlassTower.com and the host of Artists on Artists. We usually do these as a, an audio recording, although we started the program with a video, and we're continuing that process today because we have both as a guest and a host herself, Carolyn Sorter, the Dallas-based artist who is doing a residency at Glass Tire. Thank you for having me and thank you so much for supporting this project or just giving me the opportunity to even think about doing it because uh, it seems to be drawing people who have common interests so and who also maybe can use a good chat with somebody. <laughs> I go to great lengths to uh, I mean, part of the point is uh, trying to help people feel they don't have to perform. We can just be virtually present together. Although it has ended up, most people end up, we, we end up talking. Your work has always just sort of come into and out of this digital uh, online space that we, I think, are still in a nascent stage of uh, digital existence. Uh, it'll probably take us a couple of more generations to understand what we're doing and, and what we have. I wanted to talk with you a little bit about being together. Uh, what does that mean for you? Where does this idea have its roots? I mean, the whole concept of being together, even offline, in any way. I mean, apart from the fact that relationships in general are such complicated, interesting phenomena and how we interact with people. And I feel like I'm not a natural at it in a lot of ways. All of our perceptual fac faculties and all of that are prosthetics, just as our phones and computers are. And we are always operating in that virtual space in a sense, right? Um, and what does it mean to be together ever? According to Plato's allegory, you know, the we all used to be half of one whole being, which the angry gods split in two, and we never really can get completely together again. Literally besides ourselves. You will agree with me that this sort of uh, disconnection is heightened by the fact that we're living through a pandemic and can't really associate and connect with others. Uh, or even ourselves in any meaningful way because we're, we're isolated. I have been very isolated and that is part of the impetus for me because I don't have any family anywhere nearby. I do have a small group of friends I've been Zooming with, but yeah, I miss other kinds of connection. Uh, I miss the ability to encounter strangers and actually find out we have interesting things to talk about together there's a kind of a flaneur thing, you know, where you just want to be around other people and people watch. I do think we're in the process of, you know, we're going to be in the matrix pretty soon here or something like that. Somebody recently was writing about Stephen Hawking's ideas. I don't know if this is actually accurate, but um, saying that he thought we need to become the Borg with chips and everything integrated into our bodies, because that's the only way we're going to be able to basically not be completely wiped out by AI, AI after the singularity happens. 
I'm interested in dimensionality from way back because of starting out as a video artist and the way video simulates the first three dimensions better than other media, plus it's got time in a more obvious way than the other media uh, or some of them, arguably. And um, yeah, just how do these different dimensions, what is the really, really the relationship with them or among them and how do we exist in them? Um, one of the things that came to me after having thought about that for a while was that I couldn't think of anything that exists in any one dimension that doesn't also exist in all the other dimensions we're capable of perceiving. Yeah. Which kind of suggests, you know, maybe these distinctions are kind of fictive and it's somehow all one big field or they're like an uh, artifact of our, uh, the limits of our faculties or whatever. I don't know. So anyway, there's just lots and lots of interesting things to think about with all of this. I knew actually, I knew this project would help me get through the holidays. I knew it's gonna be like completely alone, um, except for, you know, a couple Zoom calls and um, hoped it would be helpful that way to other people and that they might also find some of this stuff interesting. And, and I think everybody has really enjoyed it. How many uh, guests have you had? And what are some of the more interesting conversations you can recall? Most days I do, have not filled every single appointment. Um, today's an exception to that. Um, I've had, yesterday I had probably, I think the most sort of exotic call you could see in a way. It was a professor who teaches in University of Leicester in the UK who has specialized in uh, like TV media and how people, you know, learn online. And I mean, she's got like a list of like 10 graduate degrees, postgraduate degrees in every, all kinds of stuff that I'm really interested in mm. social dreaming. Um, so we, <clears throat> that was really a lot of fun uh, picking her brain and all of that. Another conversation I really enjoyed was with a, graduate student, an MFA student at UNT, who's very interested in big data. Mm. And she had decided, she's doing a project where she's picking up sticks in different neighborhoods and then sort of comparing, using sticks as the data to assess something about the neighborhoods. And so she had arranged to do our session while she was engaged in this activity. And we had a fabulous conversation. And finally, about eight minutes before the end, I said, well, do you want to try to like not engage for a few minutes so we can at least see what that's like because we I am curious about that yeah she decided to she was doing it by phone and she decided to turn her phone so I could see the street in front of her as she was proceeding and I I was had sort of decided to try work on something else on my computer but I kept wanting to look over there and see if I could catch her <laughs> you know <laughs> so the whole thing it's just been so fun. It's been a, a, obviously an occasion to catch up with people I'm already acquainted with right. and get to know people better. I haven't actually had a, this sessions happen much where we don't engage. Everybody's like, I think they're as starved for conversation as I am. I think some of the, what you're experiencing um, could be some of the, the sort of awkwardness and the tension, both of trying to engage by Zoom, which we're all sort of <laughs> getting really tired of at this point, but also uh, recognizing that it's one of the few ways that 
um, we're not in absolute isolation. So I think there that kind of tension and that kind of awkwardness can happen. And even maybe not even uh, allowing yourself to pause although this could be a space where you could simply uh, be together with someone without a production or without expectations or without um, any of the other things that we're both craving and trying to, <laughs> trying to avoid. Does that make sense? Absolutely. The concept is it's an invitation to be together, but there's no agenda, no expectations, no purpose per se, other than to be virtually connected. And so like, if I fall down and scream, you might hear me or whatever. Yeah. Um, but we can also talk, you know, I try to just kind of go over that, those uh, baselines at the beginning of each session. Yeah, and it's a great opportunity where these two online programs, your work comes naturally to the format that Glasstire is, which is an online only publication. And your work is very heavy on video and performance and the digital world. Yeah, I've worked with Aurora in Dallas uh, several times. Um, and I've done a lot of relational work. As long as I'm also a co-host, I, I have to mention that um, I've enjoyed your work so much and I feel there is some common interest. I, I remember one project you did where you were sort of, you were in a big plastic bubble. Yes. And of course, <laughs> the bubbleization of society online and otherwise. Um, yeah, that's an area I'm very interested also you know, the public versus the private and how we getting, we're getting tribalized because of all these algorithms and, and the lack of a truly public square online. The connections <laughs> between our interests are pretty aligned, I would say, because I'm also interested in the idea of time. And I'm reading this book right now. It's called Recursion. And in the book, there's this connection to how how time exists. Uh, there is the possibility of um, moving backwards and forwards in time and trying to understand uh, what really exists, like the future, past and present, coexisting, always existing, and uh, trying to kind of reconcile that idea the bubble boy installation that I did was trying to understand whether art could exist in a bubble without uh, connecting with other things and other people and ideas, whether it's this singular experience that has no context, which it obviously isn't, but it was really my excuse to delve into science fiction and explore uh, living in a bubble and little did we know back then that uh, we would all be living in some kind of bubble presently. In quite the way we are, yeah. Um, as I recall, you did have some kind of aperture through which communication with the outside world was. <laughs> yes, I had a beer door in that thing uh, as well, where I could be handed beers uh, for my survival. <laughs> Uh, trying to find ways of existing in a limited space with limited contact. Um, I've, 
often joked this year or uh, the past 12 months that we can all now qualify for NASA deep space missions because we can live in the same spot in isolation for at least nine months. Right. Pat myself on the back. <laughs> yeah, there are even, I think there was uh, this study, a paid study with NASA where I think it was pre-pandemic and they were looking for people to um, pretty much lay in bed for 30 days without getting up and they would pay you something like 20 grand. Uh, I'm sure that they have Believe enough me. study subjects right now because not many of us are comfortable going anywhere right now. Another interest I have that's been reflected in my work, I think, in the past is systems. Mm -hmm. And one of the aspects or one of the principles that seems to, to apply to systems on a lot of different scales is um, boundary control. And uh, the idea being that some level of boundary control seems to be necessary in order to maintain a recognizable identity over time, because otherwise you're subject to disintegration or invasion or infection and lo looting, whatever. But if you're too closed, also you have no access to nourishment, new data, you can't adapt. Maybe you explode with your own waste products. Um, and yeah, that's kind of where we are now. I mean, that's one reason I'm so concerned about the censorship pushes uh, because if you bubbleize people completely into their own little arenas, it's just not gonna be a healthy situation for anybody. I haven't landed on either side of this uh, because I, I find it so difficult to be okay with the kind of vitriol that passes or that is permitted under free yeah. speech. It's been a balance, it's been a precarious balance because we've all sort of played by the rules, but uh, in, in chaos, how can we reconcile free speech uh, with uh, the greater good? That is probably a very long political discussion, <laughs> which might, might bring out my most, if not didactic, <laughs> <laughs> tendencies. Um, I'll just point to one thing, and that is that it's not just the content of hate speech and so on that is problematic. It's the algorithms that have funneled haters toward more hate. Um, if instead they were kind of pushing us to mix, I mean, like in the old days when you got your news from the newspaper, maybe if you were conscientious, hopefully you'd subscribe to you know, there used to be a conservative and a liberal paper in every town. Maybe you'd get both. But at any rate, you would see stuff that wasn't tailored to you, and it would broaden your horizon a little bit. And that's not happening so much anymore. Right. And there, <laughs> were, uh, there was a general agreement on facts and uh, understanding that certain things are universally acceptable, even if we disagree on, on them. We live in interesting times, to say the least. Which, in, in a way, there could not be a better time to be alive. It's very difficult, uh, but for artists especially, where you know we're engaged in trying to figure out at least the kind of work I like to do. I don't want to be overly didactic in my work. Right. I do think our unconsciouses are smarter than our consciences most of the time but we are trying to tune into what's happening and, and kind of feel what's coming. 
and to try to contribute in some way at a point in time that's such a turning point in so many areas. It's an enormous privilege, but it is kind of hellish also. <laughs> How do you make art right now? Well, it's actually, yeah, it's a good thing the glass tire thing came along when it did because I had been very overwhelmed, uh, feeling like I knew this kind of thing was coming, but then things started happening so dramatically and quickly and trying to process it all and feeling overwhelmed and feeling like the work I'd done in the past, even though I think a lot of it is very relevant to what's going on now, but it felt so inadequate. And like, I've got to do more, you know, it's just like, we're in a fucking emergency. Yeah. You say that. And then I guess basically the glass tire opportunity forced me to just say, well, I'm just going to have to do the best I can. (laughs) And, and that's all anybody can do. And, and sometimes that alone is helpful, very helpful. And you know, yeah, and the context of any decent body of work uh, grows and expands beyond the moment in which it was created. So it it's something that I think artists recognize that although we're making something in this moment, it may not be the audience of this moment that we're making it for. I mean, if it's sincere and if it, it comes from a, a strong place, it has the ability to speak to us uh, 30 years from now uh, as, as strongly as the works that came before us uh, can speak to us now. So yeah, I remember uh, going to the, uh, what was it? Soul of a Nation exhibition. I saw it at the Broad and then it came to the Museum of Fine Arts Houston and it was happening right around the time of the many, uh, protests and demonstrations against police brutality and against racial injustice in America. And the sort of predictable thing is that some of those works were speaking of the exact same things, but now we can look at them as a cautionary tale and hopefully learn from the times that they were created, which I I think is the same circumstance for works that we're making right now. I guess everything has cycles too. Like uh, Yates said, all things fall and are built again and those that build them again are gay. I mean, yeah, we just do seem to have to revisit all these issues. And and it is though, I think with at least some people getting greater depth each time. Yeah, Um, I mean, there are certainly things that are changing for the better, things that we understand a little better with each generational cycle the hope is always that most of the mistakes aren't being repeated and that whatever future society we build is better off for it well that inspires me to use the opportunity to suggest a possibility to other artists of this nexus where the ai could be what replaces humanity or whatever right and I know this sounds ridiculous, but now is the time to be thinking about how we want to shape our replacements or whatever the humans become and see how, figure out how to inject stuff into it that isn't as readily quantifiable and measured as most of the kinds of data that are being injected into it now. Right. This AI is very biased. And it uses very limited data sets. So I wonder 
if we're not building a future that is using the template of our flawed existence as human beings. I won't say flawed, but the existences of a bunch of young people at Google who never really read Shakespeare or whatever. I don't know, I'm getting preachy now. No, it's... But I just want equal time with all of those guys in terms of shaping this, whatever is coming. But yeah, I mean, I'm talking about things like uh, facial recognition software that is biased against people that look like me because not enough of our faces have been fed into that data that creates this technology. And um, uh, not to mention the biases built into the medical industry. So yeah, I think- And the housing it, it, and loan industries, same thing, right. self-perpetuating bias. Yeah, I think about the Gil Scott Heron song, Whitey on the Moon, where it's essentially saying, you know, we have this, space program while we're suffering here on earth and it's sort of i i enjoy the idea of scientific exploration that goes beyond our planet but we can use that technology to make a better world than trying to find resources that we freely and readily have here that we're not taking uh proper care of if we export our infected world to another planet it's not going to be a better place it's just going to be the same shitty things that are happening here (laughs) put on a spaceship and taken somewhere else to destroy just an expansion of the looting empire and after all creation is a more challenging and interesting project than destruction and looting i mean it's harder yeah but it It's fun uh, to try to do it, to create things that are vibrant and robust and, you know, whatever. And to, I mean, the harder, less sexy work is maintaining the resources you have. And the more exciting thing is new discoveries and trying to introduce new things to society. I think if we worked on our pre-digital society and took it to a place where we had the kind of equality and the kind of strong society that would benefit all of us. Technology would have been a beautiful sort of addition to that society. But as it stands, there are so many flaws and so many things that we're ignoring. And, you know, it's... Also, like all the social media platforms and the internet, the technology is moving at such a pace that we can't really stop and think about the implications. That's why I like Dark Mirror and other shows like that that are cautionary tales about our technology. I mean, I do think, um, first of all, it seems to me everything humans figure out they can do somebody is gonna do they just can't resist that temptation to see what happens got to set off that bomb or whatever right virus whatever and yeah to build a system any system that could be more self-sustaining and not go off the rails part of that of course depends on memory you know the institutional memory and along with these cycles where we get better in some ways there also is a forgetting so like it took humanity forever 
to develop rules for civilized discourse. And then we kind of forgot why we needed them and, and felt the need to experiment with not having them. And similarly, like with a lot of the amendments in the Bill of Rights, do we really need those? We're not so sure anymore, even though it was quite a struggle to get them in the first place. And once they're gone, it will be very hard to restore them. It's not to say things can't be improved, but a lot of times the action moves faster than the brain or the whatever. Or the society that's uh, responsible for those actions. Right. So yeah, if we could figure out without all the technology, a perfect society that would be self-perpetuating, remember the right things, forget the right things, since you can't, well, see, now we can remember everything, maybe kind of, sort of. Um, Someone's remembering it and someone has it all like cataloged. Right. If we don't all get wiped out by a giant giant solar flare. Mm, You know, that's my hope for a better society. A complete solar electromagnetic pulse that forces us to engage with each other for the better society. Maybe what we should do, you know how we commemorate wars and stuff? Maybe we should commemorate the pandemic and the lockdowns with a, a month alone, some, some period of time, limited technology, and just stop and think about your priorities. Because that yeah. is one benefit that I think a lot of people have mentioned. National Lockdown Month. Everybody yeah. stay home, turn off your computers. <laughs> maybe, the, maybe the French w- that used to have their you know, month-long, month-long vacation in August, um, maybe that's kind of part of what they were doing. I know we could use that in Texas. You can't do a lot with that heat, for real. Well, I've wondered if uh, the collective unconscious of humanity had had unconsciously sort of engineered this long pause because we kind of needed it because life was getting so full and fast. Like being together as a project is kind of at a certain point on a spectrum of experiments in relationship. And there was a performance I did at the reading room some years ago called Necro Networking, in which I just took some texts into a gallery for one day, sat there, engaged solely with these texts by dead authors, and um, tried not to engage with anybody in any way that walked into the gallery. It was kind of sort of conceptual or tongue-in-cheek and expressing how I felt at the time in a way, but I mean, I guess I was feeling kind of the the insecure kind of (laughs) antisocial. But also just wondering what that would feel like and how people would experience it. And I did kind of warn people, it's probably the most boring art thing they might ever attend. And knowing that these relationships with the dead authors are very one-sided in a way, and I can never actually ask them any questions or hear any answers from them. So it's kind of all up here. And yet um, do influence me from beyond the grave heavily you know, I feel like my entire worldview is stuff tacked onto a lattice I got from Shakespeare in college. I mean, it relates to the time thing in a way because how, how do various kinds of existence persist in time and the ways all of the dimensions might be one field with distinctions among them that seem very insurmountable in some ways and yet in other ways not there at all. You know, the thing that 
I love about this conversation is that these are the kinds of conversations that artists end up having that may or may not have anything to do with our work, but just uh, as human beings that think and problem solve and look for more in the world beyond what is given us. Um, where, where does it go like in your work? Like where does this experience leave you? Well, first of all, I, I mean, I know some things about where I'm going with certain things all the time, but there's a lot I don't know, including probably the answer to your question. <laughs> um, but I think I'm going to continue this project in a way, at least. I, um, it's kind of a time-consuming project, and I do need to work on some other things, but I think I'm going to continue to offer an appointment or two on Wednesdays, at least for the foreseeable future, yeah. because it helped my mental health so much. I've just enjoyed it so much. And there aren't very many appointments left. I highly recommend it. <laughs> <laughs> and please tell your friends. And thank you so much, Gloss Tire, for letting me do it through you because it obviously reached a lot of people I would never have reached otherwise. So that's been fabulous. But yeah, you can kind of check in with me maybe at uh, or, you know, we'll finalize somehow to let you know if there, there probably will be continuing appointments on Wednesdays. Yeah. And I think, yeah, it is uh, one of the reasons that we are excited about this online residency is because it has very few parameters. We don't know what's going to happen. And when we were thinking of the short list of artists to contact and propose this to. Your name was on all of our lists uh, because it, your work has that connection to technology, but also the spontaneity and, the, and we're okay with the idea of not knowing what to expect because I think it's in those moments of uncertainty and trying to find a path within an opportunity that we have the opportunity to really engage. And so I think for those reasons, who could be a better first artist in residence than you? Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, we're gonna have to leave it there. Thank you for allowing me to spend this time with you. Thank uh, you, Chris. It's been so wonderful. And uh, yeah, you keep up the great work too. Thank you again, Carolyn, and I hope to see you soon in the non-virtual world. Thanks, Chris. Mm -hmm.